It's your Wednesday Daily Delivery. I'm Michael Rand. Happy to have you guys here for another day, another great show. You know, in baseball these days, we talk about the three true outcomes in an at-bat. Um, three true outcome hitters who either hit a home run, hit a, a, a draw a walk, or get a strikeout. Um, this year, this spring in Minnesota, I feel like we've experienced a true, true outcomes weather event. It's either been glorious, like it's been the last couple days and will be the next few, or it is terrible as it was right before that, and it might be right after that until it is glorious yet again. In Minnesota sports, though, in the playoffs, we tend to have just one true outcome, and that is pain. Let's talk about that in a moment here. We'll get to the Twins winning. Pablo Lopez looking good again. Um, very good, I should say. We'll get to the Wild, their playoff picture looking a lot more clear, and it's not great, although everybody's got a chance. Everybody's got to play a good team, so I guess where you are right now isn't all that important. We'll talk to Andrew Kramer, Vikings writer for the Star Tribune, who um, will give us kind of an update on that team, where they're at heading into the draft just a little over two weeks away as they try to improve on a 13-win season that, yes, ended with pain in the postseason. First, though, what did I miss? Timberwolves, late on Tuesday night, go to Los Angeles for the play-in game, and they're extremely shorthanded. We knew that going in, right? Um, no Rudy Gobert, one-game team suspension for taking a swing at Kyle Anderson, his own teammate, in Sunday's finale a game the Wolves rallied to win, um, even with absences noted in that game. The other absence from that game, Jaden McDaniels, who hurt his hand, broke two bones in his right hand, punching a wall in frustration. He was not available, nor was Naz Reed, who got injured about a couple weeks ago. Uh, her broke his wrist, so a lot of, lot of adversity, much of it self-inflicted going into that game. And so I didn't know what to expect. I think this is a, this is a team and a season where kind of the 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 expectation is that they will do the opposite of what you expect, right? This is a team that in the course of the regular season had the second best record in the West against teams with winning records and had the third worst record in the West against teams with non-winning records. So basically they they set us up in this game in this playoffs to surprise us to do the thing where once you start to think one thing they are going to do the other thing and that was exactly how this game played out I thought they played really well for about two and a half quarters built a 15 point second half lead the shots were falling the game was flowing the offense looked good Mike Conley Jr. who was excellent all game long um, a big key to that Carl Anthony Towns whose fortunes so closely mirrored the Timberwolves that they might have they might have been more accurately called the Minnesota Towns in this game that they could not get anything going usually when he was out of the game and unfortunately for them that became too frequent in the second half when he ran into foul trouble and you know the Wolves complained about that towards the end but uh, it, it was what it was I, I think some of the calls were fine I think I think Cat has a reputation for being aggressive, especially offensively, and, and getting offensive fouls. He's always among the league leaders in offensive fouls per game. So there you have it. He got his fifth foul early in the fourth quarter, which definitely changed the game. But I'm not going to go out and say that those fouls weren't earned. It all added up to 
bitter disappointment. I know Kyle Anderson after the game said they played well. I take exception to that. I think they played well for about two-thirds of the game. I think they played hard for the entire game, but they did not play well when it mattered most. I don't think either team did. Um, It added up to a 108-102 overtime loss to the Lakers, and we'll get into some of the particulars here in a little bit, but just the disappointment of how that all finished up, what the what the ramifications of it are. And let's just lay that out right now. If they had won, they would already be into the playoffs. They would already be the number seven seed, getting almost a week's worth of rest. They would have to play Sunday against Memphis in the opening round of the playoffs. Instead, they now have to play Friday in a must-win game now against the winner of tonight's game between Oklahoma City and New Orleans. The winner of that game is the eight seed and will play Denver starting Sunday. So now, instead of being in all the way, they face a single elimination game. Now, this one will be at home on Friday, a chance to get in still, to, to be in the postseason, to have a chance to make some to make some noise, get some more experience. Rudy Gobert presumably will be back for that game off of his one-game suspension, so they will have a little bit more depth there. But their lack of depth really showed in, in this game, especially on the wing where you know they were, they were scrambling all around. I think Torian Prince was pretty good in this game too. He made some some bad plays, but he made some really good plays. Missed a three in overtime that would have tied that late, but uh, I thought he was fine. They just kind of ran out of gas and ran out of ideas, and that was the that was the disappointing thing down the stretch. Um, I think Alan Horton, the Timberwolves' excellent radio radio guy, said uh, I think in the last like eleven minutes of regulation and overtime combined. They missed 14 of 16 shots and had eight turnovers. I mean, God, that was just unbelievably bad, uh, unbelievably bad offense as the Lakers kept chipping away slowly because I thought the Wolves were very good on defense too. But both these teams just kind of slogging through those finishes. But LeBron, Anthony Davis, get it done. Now the Wolves left to wonder what might have been. And that was the disappointing part. Because like I said, Mike Conley Jr. was brilliant in this game. I thought he was, you know, ran the offense, made big shots, made three free throws with 0.1 seconds left in the end of regulation to tie that game. Just, you know, just moments after Dennis Schroeder had had given the Lakers the lead with a corner three, did everything he could, made a steal in overtime that, that led to that Torian Prince attempt at a three but could not finish this off. He was excellent in this game, wasted that opportunity. The Lakers, aging team. I know they've been good down the stretch here, one of the better teams in the West since the break, energized perhaps by the trade the Wolves made that involved Utah and the Lakers that brought D'Lo, Malik Beasley, and Jared Vanderbilt into the mix. But, you know, those guys weren't much of a factor in this game. It was it was more the other guys for the Lakers. It was more their other role players that you know, kind of stymied Carl Anthony Towns, made it hard for Anthony Edwards to get going. That was another disappointing piece. Ant was bad in this game. Um, it looked like he was fighting something injury-wise again, even though he kind of seemed like he'd been back to his old self the last couple games. It looked like his energy level was down. He could not get anything going um, until it was too late. He was he was he was disappointing in this game. I'd like to see more from him. Like to find out at some point if he was fighting through something injury-wise, or if it's, it was just an off night, or the Lakers doing something to to shut him down. But you know, all around, that was just disappointing 
to to see how that took place, to see how that transpired with 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 ants. So now um, now we're talking about you know the execution down the stretch. It seemed like they kept they kept calling the same stuff over and over again. I don't know if that's on Chris Finch to have to recognize. Look, like these guys are tired. You got to try something different. You got to you got to stop this. You know this kind of uh, you know these high screens at the top where you know they're kind of switching off who's who's initiating the offense between Mike Conley sometimes it's Kyle Anderson sometimes it's Anthony Edwards whoever was initiating it just kind of seemed like there was a lot of standing around there was nothing new the Lakers knew exactly what was coming and they were able to defend it so I didn't think Chris Finch did a great job of getting them out of that offensive rut but I think overall they looked gassed at the end they looked tired at the end they looked like a team that was fighting its depth and that was playing hard but not playing well, and it it added up to a loss. It added up to a very disappointing loss. I think you could have gone into this game and said, if they keep it close, you could have been satisfied. I wasn't satisfied. I don't think they should be satisfied. I don't think there's any moral victory. I think you know Kyle Anderson said there's no moral victory, but then he, he went on to kind of paint this as somewhat of a moral victory. There's no moral victories in the postseason. There's no we played well, but we lost. There's either you won or you lost. And in Minnesota sports, more often than not, over the last, I don't know, lifetime, uh, it's been a loss in the playoffs. Now the Wolves have one more chance in another play-in game to get into the playoffs. Trying to make the playoffs for two years in a row, by the way, for the first time since the 2003 and 2004 playoffs. They've only made two trips to the playoffs since then, one of those last year. And, of course, one of those with Jimmy Butler in 2018. Still a chance. I think if they carry the same intensity into Friday's game, they should have a pretty good chance to win, especially on their home court, especially with a little bit more depth back with, with Rudy Gobert, giving them some depth at center. But uh, I don't know. It was right there for the taking. They couldn't do it. This one's going to sit with them for a long time, especially if they fall short again on Friday. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake. With 24-7 gaming, the good times never have to end. And you can satisfy your cravings at our restaurants and bars. Or relax in one of our luxurious hotel rooms. Those that play together, stay together. And don't forget to join Club M so you can spark new memories and bask in the rewards along the way. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. Let's talk some Vikings right now with Andrew Kramer, covers the Vikings for the Star Tribune. And Andrew, it feels like it's been a while since we've talked, especially for daily delivery. And there's probably a good reason. They, they haven't, the Vikings haven't done a whole lot since that kind of initial wave of free agency where we saw them add a few players, saw them lose some guys. And maybe this is a lesson, right? Like, I, I feel like we got to free agency and everyone's like, what are they going to do? What are the big moves? What's go? What's going on here? They got to get under the cap. They need all this cap space. And then the the news just kind of trickles out. It kind of like drips and drabs. And then nothing happens for a while. And you're like, eh, you're getting kind of antsy. But the reality is they don't have to do anything else right now. And that the next big thing coming up is a little over two weeks away from, with the draft. Yeah, that's a good. That's that's exactly it because they have fit everybody, their additions, their major additions from Marcus Davenport, the edge rusher out of New Orleans to Byron Murphy, the top corner out of Arizona that they signed. They have fit all those guys under the cap with creative 
ways to lower their numbers of how they fit into this picture. They did have to make some major cuts, obviously saying goodbye to Eric Kendricks and Adam Thielen. But we all thought, hey, there's got to be some more coming, right? You need that kind of money at some point somewhere down the road. But as we know with the NFL, it is a hard cap, but there are ways to soften it year to year. And they are doing that um, by just kind of dragging their feet on some of these big decisions. Uh, Football-wise, it doesn't make sense to field Zadarius Smith, Daniil Hunter, and Marcus Davenport on the same team. You're paying for three starters for two positions. Something is going to happen there. Is it with Daniil Hunter? Is it with Zadarius Smith? Who knows? Um, they they paid Alexander Madison and still kept Dalvin Cook. We keep talking about that. That is something that could happen uh, on draft night or leading up to it in terms of a Dalvin Cook move. And so they've got these decisions and they found a way to stay cap compliant throughout these initial parts of the 2023 season that began in March. And by getting CJ Ham to sign an extension that lowered his number, by getting um, these bit players like Ross Blacklock to Chris Reed to take just outright pay cuts um, by getting Harrison Smith instead of getting cut to redo his deal. All these little moves have allowed them to kind of just kind of toe this line, Mike, that we all go, what is their big picture plan? And, and to me, it seems like Quase Adolfo Mensa is trying to keep as flexible of a roadmap as possible uh, to see how this roster could shake out while keeping as much talent under the hood for a, a car that is very much under construction or, or under repair, I should say. Yeah, and that's that's definitely not a bad strategy, but it does lead to moments where you look at it and you say, "Where is this thing going?" Right? Like, and I think, I think the last time we talked with uh, with Ben Gessling, also on Access Vikings, he was quick to point out, like, this will look a lot different in June or July than it does right now, and I think that's certainly a fair thing to remember but but right now it's a roster that doesn't make a whole lot of sense and it's a it's a, and it's a roster that leaves a that has a big question because of one of the approaches they took this offseason which was not to extend Kirk Cousins but to you know basically treat this like a treat this like maybe there's one more year left and then that's it i mean certainly they can come back to the table with Kirk Cousins but the way they the way they redid his deal or just kind of converted that converted money and kind of you know made it so that they can take most of the pain right now leads to a lot of questions that again we don't we might not know the answer to for a while but it leaves a lot out there and so i'm sure there's some angst out there in vikings nation right now yeah push came to shove with with kirk as we've talked about and i think the beholdenness to kirk and we've talked about this on the access vikings podcast but the beholdenness of the vikings to every time they needed money to have to go to him and every time they needed that money going to him led to another year of security or another year of money and he's 34 and the vikings have clearly said there is a line we are drawing Uh, ben and i have both reported that it was that third year guarantee, 2025, that the Vikings drew the line on it. Like, we are not going to fully guarantee you three years down the road from now. We will do year one. We will do year two. But Kirk wanted that kind of last, seemingly a last big contract that'd be three years fully guaranteed. And the Vikings weren't willing to do that. And here they are now trying to find answers financially on the other, on the outskirts of the roster, the rest of the non-quarterback uh, division of where can they find that money? And that's where they've been kind of turning over every rock, like I said, from the big-time guys of Harrison Smith to the CJ Hams to try to create that cap space because they didn't want to have to go back to Kirk and do something they didn't want to do. And what we've learned, what we do know, is that they are looking at succession plans. They are looking at the future beyond Kirk, at a rookie quarterback contract, which is so valuable. 
in today's NFL to build around that and have that flexibility and say, look, the most expensive position in sports, we are going to find a way to uh, build around a young guy who doesn't cost that much. And, and I think that's what they're looking at. The question is, do they do that this year? Do they do that next year? What is the window that they are looking at as a team in terms of when that succession starts? That's that's going to be fascinating to see here moving forward. Yeah, and I want to get to this year's draft pretty soon because obviously it's just two weeks away, um, uh, two weeks from Thursday. But um, the, the question of Kirk is an interesting one because to me, if they absolutely loved him, I don't feel like that third year would be as much of an issue, right? That third year, you know, would would push him into you know his age. He's going to be thirty five soon to be pushing pushing him into his age thirty seven season. But we see quarterbacks stay effective at that age pretty pretty regularly now. I mean, there's there's going to be a drop off at some point in his career. But did maybe this isn't a fully answerable question? But did the thinking on him change at any point in terms of what they value, or was this more of a it was just purely or overwhelmingly a contractual issue where they're like, ah, we like you, but we we don't want to go that far. Or, or was there just some point where they're like, it, the value doesn't match the the player or or the thinking on him shifted at some point, do you think? Yeah, I, I get what you're asking. I don't think there was any kind of seismic shift in the way the organization views Kirk. I think if anything, Kevin O'Connell's added year with him, obviously, because they'd known each other in Washington. I think that helped grow their bond. And I think you saw Kirk play very well uh, last year. Obviously, those crucial comebacks, he played a big part in a lot of them. Um, He played a big part the last few years of why they've been in these games as the defense and other pieces have let them down at times. But there's a ceiling on who Kirk is. And I think you've heard Kwesi Adolfo Mensa and Kevin O'Connell to O'Connell to some extent, but more so Kwesi referenced that ceiling and saying that, um, things like, you know, Kirk is underrated in terms of when things are on, on schedule, he's always great. And just those kinds of seemingly underhanded, um, comments and or compliments, I should say. And last year when they first did this, when Kwesi and, and O'Connell got hired, they came to Kirk for money. They wanted to redo his contract. I had heard that the Kirk's camp had basically proposed three separate contract extensions. And then the one that the Vikings bid on and ultimately fleshed out was the shortest possible one. It was a one-year deal with a no-trade clause, and that's why we're at where we're at now. So then come this year, it's the same problem of, ah, we really don't want to lock India that that much longer. I think the, the leadership has always felt this way about Kirk, and I think it's going to work this year because Kirk, as we know, has been very comfortable betting on himself. He's been very comfortable taking franchise tags in Washington. He's been very comfortable saying, you know what? I'm going to swallow whatever this is, this feeling, and I'm going to go out there and I'm going to do my best. And the Vikings know that. And they have a good enough relationship with him, this new leadership, that they can make it work. It's just clearly they're going to be open to and possibly executing a succession plan here with him uh, while he's still here. Yeah, and that brings us to the draft, because obviously if you're going to execute a succession plan and you're talking about getting someone on that rookie-scale contract, you're maybe talking about as soon as a couple weeks from now, you know, drafting somebody first round, second round, if there's a trade in there somewhere, although that first round is very valuable because then you get that fifth year option on a quarterback. Um, If we are talking about that, I mean, mock drafts are all over the board, but we've seen a few of them and and some pretty prominent ones suggesting Hendon Hooker from Tennessee, the, you know, the very seasoned, not quite as old as Kirk, but 25, 25 year old quarterback who's coming off an ACL injury, who ran a very interesting system um, that does not really represent a pro style at all. 
in Tennessee, but but someone who's very accurate, who who does have some qualities that you could imagine being attractive in the pro game. Like how viable is thinking about a quarterback in this draft or thinking about hookers specifically when they don't have a lot of picks and they've got a lot of, a lot of other needs? Yeah, it would not be unprecedented. Let me say that. It would not be unprecedented for the Vikings to trade up, to jump up and grab somebody they really like. Like, let's say somehow C.J. Stroud, Anthony Richardson, one of the consensus top three falls. It's not unprecedented to see a a move, them to be ready for a move like that. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked by that. I wouldn't be shocked with any outcome that they don't draft a quarterback this year. Uh, we've talked about on, on the Access Vikings pod that what if this roster, what if they don't view it with enough blue chip players to compete right now? What if they think, hey, let's start that clock a year from now as opposed to right now, go draft some veteran off off the street next year to kind of groom the kid uh, or at least place, you know, place hold for a little bit if that's not going to be Kirk Cousins because you know somebody else will cost less than 35, 40 million a year that Kirk does. Um, there's multiple ways they could go here. How much does it make sense though, for them to swing on Hendon hooker? That feels a little like, a um, a stock riser over the draft process. We've seen that. We've seen that with Malik Willis. We've seen that with guys in the past where, you know, Zach Wilson, even out of BYU where it's like, he wasn't really thought of as that great. And then all of a sudden he throws really good in shorts and makes these anticipatory throws. And the jets are like, yep. Number two, overall sign me up. Um, Will Levis feels a little like that, where it's just like trait kind of projection of like big arm, kind of Josh Allen-y. Let's go for it. Even though you watch Kentucky play and you're like, what What are we doing? Maybe Anthony Richardson's that out of Florida too. I don't, I am no draft expert, but when you talk to people around the Vikings, you talk to people around these quarterbacks, it feels like this class is being kind of propped up a bit. Yeah. I don't know if it's going to be worth taking a swing on the number three, four or five guy in this, in this class. Uh, 2024 is being talked up by certainly the people that know it better than me as, as a much better prospect class overall, especially for skill talent, quarterback, wide receiver, running back. So I, I do wonder what direction the Vikings will go. All it takes is one, right? All it takes is Quasey, Ryan Grigson, some of the uh, people in charge there at, at TCO to fall in love with a guy. And if they love Hendon Hooker, uh, it's going to be because of his intellect. It's going to be because of his accuracy. It's going to be because of those things that this regime really covets. And I think they're also interested in finding a mobile option yes. after having some time with Kirk Cousins. Um, and Hendon Hooker certainly brings that as well, even as he comes off the ACL tear. Yeah, it's just it's fascinating. I mean, a- a- acknowledging that there are uh, a ton of unknowns still, and this this good draft could unfold in a lot of different ways. And, and at certain points, they're beholden to what happens with the 22 picks before them, or at least with a handful of the picks before them, before they can kind of make decisions about what direction they're going to go. Is there a, a most likely scenario that you can see playing out, whether it's who or what position they might take at 23 or trade up trade down? I mean, I, I know a lot of it depends on the board. I get that, but knowing kind of how that first draft went, knowing kind of how few picks they have, knowing what their needs are, how, how would you characterize a, you know, a, a templated kind of likely Vikings draft right now. You know, last year, Kwesi Adolfo Mensa justified trading back from 12 to 32 by saying we felt after those first 10 or 11 picks that there just wasn't that clear blue chip prospect. And he, you know, without saying it, he was saying that Notre Dame's Kyle Hamilton at safety wasn't that much better than Lewis seen. 
he was saying that Jamison Williams, a wide receiver, wasn't that much better at what we could have gotten or maybe considered or needed in the second or third rounds. It would need to be set up like that at 23 overall again for them to trade back, I think. It's the allure of having more draft picks is going to be great because they've only got five, right? It's it's not a whole lot. And so they're going to need to separate this board and think that, boy, if Joey Porter Jr., if Christian Gonzalez, if all these top corners are gone and we don't like Deontay Banks or we don't like Emmanuel Forbes, these kind of second level guys as much, then yeah, trade down, get a third, get a fourth, whatever it is that you need to recoup because Right now, the cupboard's pretty bare for 2023. And, and that's kind of what I mean when I talk about, is it worth swinging on a quarterback right now if they're really trying to restock the cupboard uh, for that eventual rookie quarterback? Kwesi and, and O'Connell are only in year two of, of what um, I believe are four-year contracts. And so at this point, do you start that process in year two with a rookie quarterback? Do you start it in year three? I don't know if there's a huge jump or difference there. It, right now, they need talent and especially defensive talent. And so, Mike, you asked me what's the most likely scenario. I think it's going to be a corner, a, a defender early. And if it's if they judge those tiers in a certain way, I wouldn't be shocked to see him trade back and, and try to get more ammo for this draft. Yeah, and that's a good point. The, the complicating factor then becomes, I think any team with Kirk Cousins at quarterback is has a certain floor, right? Like your, your floor is not three or four wins. So if your succession plan is... 2024 moving on, you're not going to have a top 10, probably top 15 pick if you're having Kirk Cousins on your roster right now. So how are you going to get your quarterback of the future any more next year than you are right now? Well, and trading up's always, I mean, I think we forget like Patrick Mahomes was, was never the, the guy coming out of college, but the chiefs traded up like 10, 15 spots to get him. Like you can, if you have conviction, and I think this is a front office that is not afraid to make a bold move about a guy they have conviction about, uh, t- whether it's TJ Hawkinson trading a two for him in the middle of the year. Um, I think they will go ahead and take those jumps. If they see that guy, uh, I just, if, if Hendon hookers, that guy right now, to my layman perspective, it seems like a stretch this year. Maybe that guy's more uh, around next year, but they just don't have a ton of draft capital right now for, for this year, in part because of the, the bold move for TJ Hawkinson. Yeah, I mean, there's that, and there's, like you said, a lot of other needs. Like, they've neglected defense a lot in these past drafts. Maybe not so much last year, but, you know, their predecessors, there was kind of this balance where they went very defense-heavy in a lot of Spielman drafts early in Mike Zimmer's tenure, and then the defense was really good. So it's like, okay, let's draft a bunch of offensive linemen, wide receiver like Justin Jefferson. Obviously, those are they've made some good picks on offense, but it has come at the expense of using some of that capital on defense. Now they use picks on Lewis Seen last year, Andrew Booth Jr., those guys got hurt a lot. So a lot of what happens this year is going to be what happens with, you know, kind of year two with some of those guys they drafted last year. But the defensive talent, you're right, on this team is it's just not great. And it's just because they haven't really spent on it. Oh, and they haven't hit. They just haven't yeah. hit. Yeah. I mean, from Jeff Gladney to Mike Hughes, um, from from mid to late rounders too. They've drafted. I saw some stat that it was like thirty defenders from 2016 to 2021, and only three of them are on the team. Um, it's and that's obviously not counting the 2022 class where you mentioned the scene and Booth and some of those guys, but that's counting the five six years before Quasi and O'Connell got here. Just three of these guys, and Bynum is the only one who is starting and playing big minutes. So uh, they just haven't drafted well. They haven't stocked the cupboard well. And to your point, uh, that leaves it pretty barren and empty where I don't know if, if making a big swing is, is going to make a ton of ton of uh, sense here. 
Yeah, and maybe the final thought here is um, you mentioned corner could be a possibility at 23. That'd be a very Zimmer era pick. But also, you know, they've they've lost like four or five corners from last year's team. I know I think they just lost Chris Boyd and he's more of a special teamer, but you know, Patrick Peterson's not here anymore. I think Shannon Sullivan's still in free agency. They lost Duke Shelley. They lost, uh, they cut Cameron Dantzler. Like they brought in Byron Murphy. That's the only addition they really made in the, in the secondary that I can see. Like they've got to add just flat out. They got to have bodies at a certain point, don't they? Oh, Kevin O'Connell said at the combine that Andrew Booth and Caleb Evans are part of our nucleus that we are counting on. Um, so when you talk about all the guys they are losing, they are expecting some of these unknown commodities to really step up big. And and to your point, they will add veterans. There there will be these low level budget signings. There there might even be another draft pick, prominent draft pick or two in that group, but they need these young guys. They need Booth and, and Scene and, and uh, Caleb Evans, these three defensive backs all to step up and play big roles. And Byron Murphy plays in the slot. He plays outside. He's versatile. But one thing we know about Brian Flores, he came in here and said, I need guys that can play multiple positions. I think he'll move around and toy with some of these defensive backs they've got because they can't start seeing Bynum and Harrison Smith. So who's going to play more of a nickel role? Who's going to play a hybrid kind of linebacker role? I'm really fascinated to see how they toy with the, the, the personnel there um, and also who else they add and, and how these young guys come along because they need growth, they need development, and, and you know they need production. Well, and those guys had a hard time just staying on the field because of injuries last year. Like, if that's your plan, you better have a backup plan because not only is, you know, I think Booth has a history of that scene, maybe not so much. Evans with concussions, you just you just never know. So they're, uh, they're I don't know, they're, they're walking a line. They're, they, it just, it feels to me right now like like 2023 is, is still more rebuild than competitive, but uh, I, I don't think they would ever say that. Well, from, yeah, just a conjecture. I mean, you'd rather have them go all, all in one way or the I other, would. right? I would. Yeah, I would. As <laughs> opposed to trying to do everything at once. But yeah, as we talked about in the onset, this roster is going to look so much different come even August uh, than it does right now. And so we'll, we'll see how it unfolds. Well, we'll probably get a few more answers Thursday. That's when Quesito Fomensa is going to talk to us about the draft, maybe a little bit of free agency recap. I think we'll do an Access Vikings right after that. So maybe some more perspective with some light shed from from what Quasi says. And then, you know, like I said, two weeks from now, we'll be into the draft and we'll actually have some answers as to who they are actually taking. Um, Andrew Kramer, appreciate it as always. And we'll talk soon. Anytime, Mike. Thanks. Always fun to chat NFL and Vikings with Andrew Kramer. And just as a reminder, uh, Vikings have just five picks as it currently stands in this draft. The first, uh, the first one in the first round, number 23 overall. Then they don't pick again till round three, pick 87. Then they have a fourth, a fifth, and a compensatory pick in round six. Not a lot of high-value capital. Just knowing that, knowing Quese Dofo Mensa's draft strategy, you have to wonder if they're looking to trade down in the first round, try to try to get some more equity in this draft. Not talking about trying to add some sixths and sevenths like Rick Spielman, but trying to t- trying to maybe add another top 100 pick so they can add some more to this roster. We'll see how it ends up shaking out. Like Andrew and I talked about, a lot of that depends on what the teams do behind them, what they're looking for. But uh, with a, a team with a lot of needs and with not a lot of salary cap space might find itself wanting to move down in this draft to see if they can accumulate more picks to address more of those problem areas. Speaking of trades, um, the Twins made a huge trade this offseason, dealing 
Luis Arias, um, last year's American League batting champion to the Marlins. He's off to a very good start in Miami, but the pitcher they got in return, Pablo Lopez, is also off to a great start in Minnesota. Had his third consecutive excellent outing for the Twins on uh, on Tuesday. Ends up not getting the win because the Twins cough up a late lead, but the Twins do win four to three in extra innings, seven and four now. Trouble is some of these injuries starting to mount. Joey Gallo going on the injured list. Carlos Correa not in the lineup again as he deals with this back issue. They're hoping he can maybe play today. We'll see about that. It's an afternoon game. But, um, you know, I'm worried about the Twins having these health problems already. This lineup, when you just look at it, does not look like they're going to score a lot of runs. They only scored four yesterday, but that was enough. Four, three in 10 innings. By the way, in a game that took less than two and a half hours, even though it was a 10 inning game. Loving this pace still, still adjusting to it, still getting used to the idea that a game could be over that fast, but uh, still loving that. Loving what I've seen out of Pablo Lopez. Twins have to be feeling that way too, even if they are looking, uh, you know, looking far away in Miami and seeing how well Luis Arias continues to hit now that he is not with the team. Let us finish with the cooler. The Wild locked in now to the number three seed in the uh, in the Central Division. Likely playoff opponent is Dallas, although uh, that Dallas could still jump up, win the division. In which case, it would be Colorado. They were playing in the first round. Either of those opponents will be a challenge, particularly since they now know they will have to start the series with two games on the road. This is probably the inevitable eventual outcome. They had a huge. What, 16-1-4 burst late in the season that got them into position to maybe win the division or at least um, at least have a home playoff series to start. That did not come to fruition. A couple stumbles down the stretch, and those two other teams, Dallas and Colorado, just too good. They've been, they've been on a hot streak lately, vaulting past the wild. So now we got to look at what goes on in the playoffs. Can they get it done? Can they win a series this year? Have not done that in way too long. They've gotten close the last couple seasons. That, to me, like I've talked about before, that, to me, will mark whether this is a successful season or merely a somewhat acceptable season in this kind of transition between still, you know, taking advantage of Kirill Kaprizov's emerging prime and still dealing with the fallout of those contracts to uh, Ryan Suter and Zach Parisi and those buyouts that are on the books here for a few years. We'll see. We know, though, that they're number three and uh, not much to play for the rest of this season, gearing up for a playoff that will begin in just a few days. Maybe they will also overlap with the Wolves playoffs, but that, again, like I said, will all be determined on Friday. That will do it for me today. Chip Scoggins, Star Tribune columnist, will join me on Thursday's show. Probably talking a little bit more Wolves, definitely talking more Wild. He was at that game on Tuesday. He's got some thoughts on the goalie situation, things like that. Hope you stick around and listen to that on Thursday. Until then, enjoy the rest of your glorious Wednesday. Three true outcomes, two true outcomes, one true outcome. I'll always be here. I'm Michael Rand. Back at it again tomorrow.